0: All right, how's everybody doing? I just switched hats tonight. Praise the Lord, I get to do it. You know, one of the, um, my nephew, um, he's a pastor at Fort Collins, Colorado, Calvary Chapel. And, you know, in the beginning of their ministry, he used to play the drums and sing, and then he'd come up to the pulpit. So, you know, it was my turn to do worship tonight, So, and Pastor Joe asked me to teach tonight, and I said, yeah. You know, I'm not going to tell the Lord no. So, um, if you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Philemon. Philemon, and it's a it's a very short book. Again, it's a prison epistle, and I entitled the message tonight: Church family relationships. And it's a very small book, but it's a it's a. Very powerful book. I, you know, I. A lot of times we gloss over it, but there's so much to learn from this book. I could have stayed uh, a whole two weeks or four weeks series on this book, but the Lord, for the sake of time, we're just doing uh, thirty-five minutes or so. So, it begins with Paul. A prisoner of Jesus Christ in Timothy, our brother. Now, Paul called himself a prisoner. And a prisoner, he was writing. But we got to understand, Paul was no prisoner of man. See, Paul here wasn't complaining about his circumstances of being in prison Paul was in prison but he was not a prisoner of man but he was for God he was God's prisoner and it says Timothy our brother and our brother and here's the thing with believers us in Christ we are united to one another in a bond of affection that's we're called to be a church and we're called to have a bond of affection. But Paul, like other believers as Christians, we're born into a spiritual family relationship with Christ. And that takes place when we make things right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross. Through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14 through 19, Peter writing to the church said, as obedient children, he's speaking to the church, we should be obedient children to the Lord. Not conforming ourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. So we should be obedient as God's children in the family of God. We should not be conforming ourselves to the world or our former lusts. There should be a transformation within us. And there should not be an ignorance. We should be growing in the grace and the knowledge of God. And that all takes place as being a part of the local body, being a part of the family, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Because God called us to holiness. He's called us to his family, but he's called us to be holy. And that word means to be set apart. To be set apart for his work. So our conduct as brothers and sisters, as Christians, is very important. Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 through 19, God says, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. He says, conduct yourselves through your time and your stay here with in fear. And that word fear is that Peter here is talking about wasn't a fear of a cowardly fear or a cowardice of man. Again, Paul wasn't a prisoner of man. He was a prisoner of God. So here Peter is saying that... The, the children of God should be reverent to God. Not cowardice of man. Knowing that we are not redeemed or we were not redeemed. And that word redeemed speaks of being liberated. We're liberated. Peter was telling us. Liberated from what? The bondage of sin. We're not, we're not, sl- we're not imprisoned. We're liberated, not of corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct that Peter was telling us, but by the precious blood of Jesus that unites us as a family. There's liberation in Christ. A lot of times people have this misunderstanding that, man, you're in bondage, you go to church all the time, you're this, you're in bondage, and they don't know. Paul was in prison, and he wasn't in bondage. He was liberated. He was free. He was about the Lord's business. So Paul was liberated. He was where God wanted him to be. And that's where we get some amazing books like this book here tonight. That's where we get a lot of the Psalms. In times of trouble, we get the Psalms that were written when David was on the run for his life. He was on the run for his life. What the world thinks as is bad. He was in prison. Oh no! Oh woe is me! Paul was writing a beautiful letter here to the church. When David was on the run and he's in the caves of Engedi and he's on the run for his life from Saul, that's where we get the beautiful Psalms. And so trials to the Christian are not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I was thinking this morning of the butterfly you know, he he. It starts off as a a grub, right? It starts off as a caterpillar, walking around, and then all of a sudden it finds a spot, and we'll see them sometimes here on the church, and then and they have this little cocoon up there. They crawl up the walls, and they get up there, and they make the little cocoon, and over time, you know, you start seeing movement in it. And if somebody goes over there and tries to help it and it's struggling it's struggling to get out of the cocoon. And it's struggling and struggling and struggling. And if somebody would go out over there and try to help it out and cut the cocoon open to let the butterfly go, it would be so weak. Because that cocoon was a place where it was it was growing, its muscles were growing, it's using so it could fly and transform. So, think of it like that. What is God teaching me through these trials? But we got a really neat picture of the church, how God expects it to be while Paul was writing in prison. And it's so beautiful. Secondly, the Bible tells us that we as believers are adopted into God's family. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. You know. God adopts us as sons to Himself through Jesus Christ for His good pleasure, and it says that we were we as God's children will receive an inheritance. We will be heirs and and beneficiaries of God as dear children. That is beautiful. And here Paul and and is writing to the Ephesian church. However. Prior to our conversion, we're not family. A lot of people believe, oh yeah, we're all in God's family. Well, no, we're not. Prior to conversion, we're shut out of fellowship and intimacy with God. We see this in Isaiah 59 nine two. The Bible makes it clear that our sins have separated us from God. But not in the extent that God doesn't know what's going on. or God is separated. He doesn't know what's going on. Because it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that He cannot save, nor His ear heavy that He cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you that He will not hear you. It's not that God doesn't hear you. It's that you're tuned out. Why? Because of your sin. Sin separates us from God. But God knows all things. Even though sin separates, he knows what the sinner's doing. He's omnipresent, so he knows whatever is going on. And he's omniscient. He knows every thought and detail. He will not hear because sin. But God, in his grace, sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. He initiated the relationship with us. That's how we got saved. We recognized we were sinners and we needed a Savior. And that was the work of the Holy Spirit. And it, He did it to each one of us differently. Why? Because He knows His children. He knows He's calling you out of darkness into a personal relationship with Him. You see, so God has made provisions. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 tells us that we as believers were one were, Unbelievers were once far, but he, we have been brought near in a personal relationship by the blood of Jesus Christ. That makes us family. We're family because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, those, there are those who think they have a relationship with God by religious practice, works, or, or they're serving, or they have a family lineage, or a heritage, but that's not true. Many of our sons and daughters believe they have a relationship with God and they're okay with God because of our relationships. And that is not so. We see this in 1 John chapter 2, and verse 5. The Bible says, But whosoever keeps My word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in Him, in a relationship with Him. He who says he abides in Him ought to also walk just as he walked and as pastor joe said earlier in the message this morning there must be evidence that you are in the family there has to be evidence of salvation and that's a relationship transformation and that takes place as part of the work of the holy spirit jesus said in john chapter 14 verse 21 he says he who has my commands and keeps them It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. And here's the thing. Ask the Lord, Lord, manifest yourself to me. I'm your child. I love you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. Let there not be anything in my life that would hinder you from speaking to me. Forgive me. Help me to walk like you. And manifest yourself to me. Why? He said he would. I want God to speak to me. And he will, your children. And lastly, as God's children, what sets us apart, Hebrews chapter twelve, verse eight tells us that God corrects our behavior when we are living in a way that needs correction. Here's the thing. God corrects His children. If you're not being corrected and you're living in a way that you're okay with it and you're going in the way of the world and you're okay with it, here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8, it tells us you're illegitimate. You're not a child of God. The child of God should feel conviction when you're wrong. The child of God should hear when he hears the Word of God, there should be some correction. Hey, I need to get right. I need to hear the Spirit of God. Why? Because I'm His child. And if you're not feeling convicted or there's no transformation, here's the thing. I have to take an inward look. I have to take, be honest with God and say, "Hey, and, and Holy, ask the Holy Spirit, show me if there's errors in my life. And He will show you. And He'll correct you. But I love God, how God works. He will not only show you, he'll help you to overcome. And that is wonderful, the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul in the prison is in prison here at this time, and Timothy was his assistant tending to his needs. Timothy was his liaison or his contact between his spiritual family and himself while he was there in the prison. And he continues here in verse, the end of verse 1 and 2 to uh, Philemon, our, our beloved friend, our fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia or Ephiah, I'm sorry, Archippus, our, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. I'm sorry, I had all these down earlier, and now I'm just getting tongue-tied with the, the names. But Paul called Philemon his beloved friend, his beloved friend, number one, number two, his fellow laborer, and number three, a fellow soldier. So as Christians, brothers and sisters, we should be beloved friends. We are called as believers to be united to one another by a bond of affection. We're not just churchgoers. We're called to have a be united people in the bond of affection because our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you see a relationship there within the Trinity. So to us as well, church, we shouldn't just be churchgoers. We should be family. We shouldn't be know what's going on. We should be praying for each other. We should be looking out for one another. We should be encouraging one another, comforting one another. That is what God has called us to do. He's called us to be together in the bond of affection and have this relationship as dear brothers and beloved friends and family. We're family. We're family. If you don't feel family, like you're a family, you need to get plugged in. You need to be more around. You need to spend time. You need to hang out. You need prayer. You need you need, you need friends. We're here for you. See, you're not called to be isolated. You're called to be brothers and sisters in Christ, united by Jesus Christ. But secondly, he calls him his fellow laborer, his companion in his work, a fellow worker with the same goals and purposes. And our, our goal and our purpose here as Christians is to build each other up in the local church. Everybody here has an important role. In the church. Whether you're young or old, you have a role here in the church. You're a brother. You're a sister. You're to encourage people. And, and I tell the leadership this all the time when we have leadership. Don't sit in the same place. Why? Because So you get to meet somebody new. I encourage them to meet somebody new. So we're called to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's the thing, we all have an important role, whether we're young or old. You know, I think of the young here in the text, in Scripture you have Timothy and Titus who were very young. Paul was the older and he was encouraging them in the Lord. Also we have Mark who was very young in the faith. But here's the thing, we had some older saints in the Scriptures that were very important. So don't ever think that you're irrelevant whether you're young or you're old. You're still very useful to the Lord. Because remember when uh, the book of 1 Timothy was written because the young pastor needed encouragement from the older man. Titus was written and he was telling the older men to encourage the younger men and the older women to encourage the younger women. That's your role and responsibility. It wasn't the pastor's job. It's your responsibility. You're the church. We're to build each other up. And I think of the older saints that God uses, and I look at the gospels during the time of Christ, and Anna was a, a great encourager. She was she was elder, she was in her 90s, and she was at the temple and she prayed. And she encouraged people at the temple when they came in or I think of Simeon when he was waiting for the Lord and there comes Mary and Joyce of with baby Jesus into the temple to dedicate him unto the Lord and he got he had because he was there and faithful he got to hold the Messiah and 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 bless him and praise the Lord Simeon he was very old but God used him. Why? He was there. I think the, the the greatest thing that is lacking in the church is availability. Availability. Being there. We're called to be there for each other. Whether we're young or old, you're, you're important. You should be missed when you're not here. And you guys are missed when you're not here. But next, Paul calls him his fellow soldier. An associate, with, an associate in labor and in conflicts for the cause of Christ. See, we have three enemies. We have three enemies. We are to be full of soldiers. What do soldiers do? They fight. They fight for the guy next to them. They fight for the family next to them. You're sitting in pews. Sit, look who's to the left of you or to the right of you. And that's who you fight for. We have a we have a common enemy. Number one enemy is the flesh. We have an enemy called the is it's our own stinking flesh. He's our enemy. I have to crucify the flesh. How do I overcome the flesh by being in the Word? First Timothy chapter three verse sixteen it says it talks about teaching and rebuking through the Word of God. I need this in my life. I need to be in the Word, personally and corporately here with my pastor. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 through 17 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work if I'm not in the word as a Christian and I'm not teaching your pastor is not teaching you through the word you are not equipped for every good word, and you're not growing to completion. There's no transformation. The word of God is the only thing that can transform a Christian. A Christian that's not transforming is not a Christian in the Word. You need to get in the Word. We have those three enemies. The second enemy is the world. The world. It wants us to conform us to its image. But how do we overcome the world as Christians? What's the battle? Being, again, in the Word. We see this, that we will transform by the renewing of our minds. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we are warned, do not copy the behavior or the customs of the world. Man, the world is getting darker and darker. But let God transform you into a new person, changing the way you think. Then you will learn what God's will is for your life. And you will do what's good and perfect and pleasing to Him. Why? How? i be in the Word. It's that simple. Be in the Word. Let it transform you. What you read, pray. Lord, I want to be like this. Lord, I want these gifts. I want to be more like Paul. I want to be liberated. I want to be useful. I want to be a fellow soldier, a brother, a sister. Lord, use me in my role and responsibility because every Christian has a role and responsibility. You might not be serving in a certain ministry, but you are very important to your local church. Very important. Every one of you. Number three. The third opposition. Because He's telling us we are to be fellow soldiers. We face spiritual opposition. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity and the obedience of Christ. So Philemon here, Philemon, his name means one who bears kisses. ones who bears kisses. But there's nothing perverted here about his name. His name simply symbolizes a close friendship. See, we are instructed as Christians to be more than church- churchgoers. We're called to build relationships in in the church, not cliques. We're taught in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 to be kindly affectionate towards one another with brotherly love, giving preference to one another, encouraging one another. First Timothy, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 9 says, But concerning brotherly love, I have no need to write to you, for you yourselves ought to know that... How to love one another in Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let brotherly love continue, meaning to be held, to be kept, continually loving each other. We're called to love each other. And, you know, for some, it, 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 it seems odd. Um, I used to work at Costco, and I was an auditor. So I used to always be on the floor, and I'd be counting or I'd be writing something, take, doing a report. And this elderly man came in, and he was from a different country. Uh, he used to come in, and he'd ask for help. And he was—he was in his eighties; could have even been older. He was in—he was—and uh, he'd come in, and I helped him once, and. I, you know he he really liked me, so every time he'd come in, he would ask to for me, and I was like, okay. You know they would say, hey, you know they would get on the walking and they would trying to look for me, and he would come to me and he would see me. He would give me a hug. He would kiss me on this side of the cheek, and then he kissed me on this side of the cheek, and then he kissed me on this side of the cheek. And at first, it just seemed really odd to me because it was kind of foreign to me. You know, growing up, my my mom and dad were not really affectionate. But then I got married, and then my my wife and her family were very affectionate. They would give me a hug. But this guy gave me... They'd give me a kiss on one cheek. But this guy gave me one. He gave me two. He gave me three. And at first, I felt like... I was kind of like... But, you know, after a while, it was like... Yeah, it it was so sweet. It it was the the guy the guy loved me. And you know, that's where Lord help me to love like you want me to love your people. Because sometimes it can be so foreign to us. And and here's the thing, we're we're to love each other with the affection of Christ. Lord, help me to love like you love. I need to love like you love because I don't. Because I'm squeamish, or people get squeamish. Lord, help me to receive love like that, you know. But, you know, I'm not telling you to get all syrupy on each other, but pray. Lord, help me to love people. Help me to love you. Let Him do a work of your spirit. In it. So His name means, is, is likened to being affectionate. Afia here. She was a, a woman of uh, Colossi, a Christian member of Philemon's uh, household. Her name means fruitful, an expression of endearment. Her name suggests having a sweetness or a delightful character. She had a, her name speaks of having a sweet or delightful character. So, too, as Christians, we should have a likeful character. Character, a delightful character. We should be likable. We should. And here's the thing. Back in the Old Testament, Israel really missed out, because really Israel was created was there for to bring in the Messiah, but they were to be a witness to the world. But their witness was bad. At points. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23 says, Thus says the Lord, In those days ten men from every language and every nation will grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Why did they want to be with Him? As Zechariah says here. Because God was working in their lives. And just think, God working in your life and you don't want no part of those stinking people. We could have that attitude as Christians. I don't want to be around those people. Oh, they make me so mad or they disgust me. Lord, help me to love people like You love people. Even the sinner. The Bible says God demonstrated His love for us while we were yet sinners that He died for us. The greatest act of love was dying for people who didn't really care. Loved them. The affection of Christ. Lord, help us to have a delightful character. Next is our, our chip our our, our man. I'm blowing these names. His name means master of the horse. Master of the horse. He was a uh, this man was a Christian overseer of the church at. In Colossae, uh, Paul wrote a letter encouraging him. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, he said to uh, Archippus, uh, "...take heed in the ministry in which you receive from the Lord, that you may fulfill it." So Paul was telling this man here to take heed to the ministry you receive from the Lord. So each one of you has a ministry that you receive from the Lord... Be careful to take care of it. Whatever God has called you to do, make sure you're doing the best under the Lord. You received it from the Lord. Fulfill that. Lord. Say, Lord, what do you got for me? What did you call me to do? Help me to fulfill that role. And I say the same thing to our overseers. Take heed to the ministry which you've received from the Lord that you may fulfill it. In other words, pay attention to the ministry that you God You have received from the Lord. Because God has called us to be good stewards. We see this in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Too much is given, much more is required. Now here it mentions the house churches. Uh, House churches are good in their, number one, let me make this clear, in their infancy stages. There's a lot of Christians now who believe that they can just go have house church. Um, no, that that's not right. Like I said, in its infancy stage, you know, Pastor Joe started out in an apartment. You know, Pastor Raw started out in a, in a home, in a house, in the living room. My nephew David started out in a home with with five people, and it was like that for the most of ten years, and then. And then they started to grow at 15 years and now he's in 20 years and, and they're, they're still growing. And he, now he's on the radio, praise the Lord. But during its infancy stage, yeah, you could start off in a home. But it needs to grow and there needs to be order and leadership and, and, and discipline and order. And that's the same thing that happened in your church. It started Golden Spring started out in, in a home and here we started out in an apartment. and Praise the Lord, and we grow But here in verses 3 through 4, Paul continues with his greeting, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. So here he's talking about the grace of God, then the peace of God with the Father through Jesus Christ. So Paul, here he's making mention, making mention of you always. In prayer, that's a great example for us. Start, you know. I know sometimes we generally pray for the church, but write some names down and start praying for them. You know, I I had a list uh, one day—not to boast, but I I had a list one day—and then I have a a list of names that that I pray for, and you are all are all pretty much on it. And then I started adding children and grandchildren, and somebody asked me. Hey, what did you do today? Just happened to be that day. And I said, I prayed. And they said, That's all you did? But you know what? I, I spent all day in prayer. But the Lord was showing me I got to do other stuff too to get other people involved in prayer to help in that area. Why? Because I don't know what you're going through. You don't know what I'm going through. So I'm, we need to pray for each other specifically had a lady come in on Wednesday evening and we talked in the foyer after. Her, her daughter tried to commit suicide. She goes here to this church. We need to pray for each other. You know, I think I was talking to the, the youth uh, leaders this morning uh, after service of the signs of the times that we're in. In the 1930s, Germany invaded Poland and started World War II. Well, what do we see now? Russia in going to invade Ukraine? In the 1900s, over 80 million or 100, 100 million people died because of atheist communism. Look at the threat of China and Taiwan, Russia, atheist communist. We need to pray. These kids that we have in the youth ministry could very well be those soldiers and those in the front line. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. The parents in the 1930s, the early 40s, didn't know what was going to happen. We need to pray for souls. Make mention of them. We too should use this example and make mention of them in prayer. And you know what? You guys are a praying church, man. I I know people pray for us every day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's so important to us. You know, I'm here because people are praying. Overcoming, man. You know, the obstacles that me and Pastor Joe face and Just the things the enemy wants to rob, kill, and destroy. And he wants to strike the shepherds. So you guys are on my list. Those who aren't on my list, come see me tonight. I'll put you on that list tonight. But pretty much all you guys are here on my list. But here in verse 5, Paul says, hearing of your love and your faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, This is key to a healthy church. Paul said, hearing of love towards the Lord Jesus Christ and a love towards the saints. I'm to love God and love you. And the same thing for you guys. You to love God and love each other. That's a sign of a healthy church. But a lot of times we go to church and we run out. Like, we don't care about these people. I'm too busy for them. I got to go. Things to do. Your spiritual family is very important. Don't neglect your spiritual family. Spend time with them. Encourage. Man, there's a lot of you who've gone through a lot of things that God has brought you through that God wants to use you to help others. The trials you've gone through, man, the things you've seen and the history, you know, what what you've been through, there's somebody going through that right now, but they're going through it alone. Imagine that? The Corinthians tells us we're to comfort those with the comfort in which we were comforted. God got us through. So we can be cheerleaders and encouragers that God can get you through that. Why? He's brought me through that. To get you through that, so I want to be a healthy church member. I want to love God and love others, but Paul said, "Hearing of your faith towards the Lord Jesus and towards towards the saints, so our faith and love is seen in both our service and our devotion to God and to His people." And we see this in Matthew chapter twenty-five, verse thirty-one through forty-six. Remember when Jesus was saying. Uh, he was saying, "You know, I, I was hungry, and you. I was I was a strange, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in to your home. I was naked, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me." Then the righteous will reply and said, "Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, and are thirsty and give you drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and clothe you?" When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will say and tell you the truth. He said, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Do I make time for God's people? You're doing it to me. Do I ignore people? Are they precious to me? Then the king will say to those on his left, Away with you You cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons, for I was hungry and you did not feed me, I was thirsty and you did not give me drink, I was a stranger and you did not invite me into your home. I was naked and you did not clothe me, I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and, and help and not help you? And He will answer and say, I will tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help Me. And they will go into an everlasting punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. Now, our, see, our faith and our love is seen in how we love God and we love others. But here He's not talking about the homeless problem. It's not about the homeless problem. You know, I deal with homelessness a lot. You know, people will come in here with homeless needs. And first thing I do is I'll share the Gospel with them. They need to reconcile with God first. And then after they reconcile with God, they need to reconcile with their family members. But a lot of times, they just want the hand out. They don't want to reconcile with God, which is their greatest need. And they don't want to reconcile with family members because they burned them. And I know, because I did it. That was me. I was almost homeless. I was almost on skid row. And I had a, when I reconciled with God, I reconciled with my family. I got to go to other people and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I stole from you. I lied to you. Cheated on you. But so many in that condition, there's no repentance. There's no getting right with God. There's no, they don't want to, you know, and then I've led them in the sinner's prayer, but they don't want to reconcile with their family. They want to continue in a lifestyle. And I can't help that. I can't change that. There's family issues. That's a family issue, not a church issue. And what happens a lot of times is there's unresolved family issues. And I, and I try to have people come into my house. You know, you hear about the law that they want uh, people in San Francisco to start taking in the homeless. I, I, I've tried that. I, t- I try to take in a, a, a family member who is homeless. But I was inviting dangerous behaviors into my home which was not wise. I have a grandson in my home. Grandchildren. Daughter. Just think, if we all just nilly-willy just invited people into our homes, that's not, that's not what the Bible's teaching. That's a family issue. The Bible says in Timothy that I'm to take care of my own family. Those family issues need to be resolved. But if I take people into my home and they have bad behavior... Drug abuse, you know, they brought drugs in my home. They were doing things that were kind of inappropriate when I was there. Just imagine if I, what, it would take, what it would take place if I wasn't there. God showed me, hey, this is not good. I could love them, but I can't have them in my home. I'll feed them, give them a drink. But when it comes to family, that's where I'll take care of as much as I can. But there has to be that transformation from God. Here in verse 6-7 through seven, it says that the sharing of your faith, and so he's talking about character, then the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus, for we have a great consolation or comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. He's still speaking to his brother here. And here in verse 5, Paul was saying, he was hearing the love and the faith of his brother. I heard of your love and your faith towards those in the Lord Jesus towards all the saints. He had a right balance of love. The right balance of love is, I love God and I love people. I love God and I love people. That's a right balance of love. Because we can love God and hate people. That's not a right balance. There's something wrong here. I need to pray, Lord, help me to be rightly balanced. Because I can love things I could, I could love unbalance. I could have an unbalance of love and affection. Miss affection. I could love the world more than God. That's bad. You know, you could love your sport or your thing more than your spouse. You've got to be careful. Unbalanced love. But Paul had, Paul here was speaking of a right balance of love loving God and loving people and here in verse 6 through 7 it says when you do have that right balance of love for God and for people the sharing of your faith becomes more effective and it's seen in every good work that you do in Christ so your conduct really does matter to God Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10 says That you, Christian, may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's where you're to be. Have that right balance. Love God. Love people. Walk worthy of the Lord and you will fully please Him. And then you will be fruitful. It will affect how you minister to people. But on the contrast... We as Christians could be ineffective and unproductive. Because we're not called to be ineffective and unproductive believers. And a Christian could be ineffective and unproductive because of sinful behavior. Sinful behavior. It will affect how we witness to other people. I got these points from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. It says, Therefore put away lying. Let each of one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. For we are members of one another. So we can be ineffective or unproductive because we have, we, we have a, a lying tongue. Bad habit. Number two, we could have an un- uncontrolled anger issues. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. You see, anger in me. I can be an ineffective and unpro- unproductive Christian. Not flourishing, as God intends me. It can be stilling. It says, let him who's still still no longer. It could be laziness. I could be a lazy Christian. There are lazy Christians. They just want to be served all the time. I don't want to serve. I want to be served. I could be lazy. But it says, but let him rather labor, working with his hands what is good. I could be a selfish Christian. But here in Ephesians it says, That we should be able to share with those who have a need. I could have foul language, it says here. It says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good and necessary for edification, for building up, that we may impart grace to the hearers. So, why is this so important? Why is our conduct as Christians, as children of God, so important? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says, so that you do not grieve the Holy Spirit in your life. We could be grieving the Holy Spirit in our lives. Here are a few more sinful behaviors or attitudes. Bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, evil speaking. Paul says, let these be put away with you, with all malice, being spiteful, being mean, being nasty, and being cruel. Here, you know, in the prison Epistle, he's, he's telling us, be kindly affectionate. Be, and, and have that right balance of loving God and loving others. And you'll be effective witness for my glory. And you'll be fruitful. But I really have to ask myself, are there some things here in my life that need to be out? Lord, take them out. Transform me. Ephesians 4.32 says to the church, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgave you. And here it's speaking of continually loving and forgiving and being tenderhearted. Why? Because we're going to have rough times. We're going to get on each other's nerves. We have a relationship. Marriage relationships are not always sweet and spice. We, sometimes we have a little, little friction, but we love each other. We're committed to each other. We ask for one another to forgive each other. We don't grow hard in hearts, we're, we're tender hearted. Be tender hearted. Even as God forgave us, God forgave us all our sins. We need to be forgiving. Forgive my brothers and sisters, and they offend me. Here's the thing, Christian. We can be either wings or weights. Wings or weights. We could lift people up. Wings. I want to lift people up. Or I could be a weight and just weighting people down. Lord, I pray that we are wings and not weights. That we would have this comfort as pastors. Comfort in knowing that You love your pe- the people but here he says, and he was comforting by his brother Philemon here, and it says, you ref- the saints have been refreshed by you. Man, you're so refreshing. I want to be a refreshing brother or sister to refresh people. You know, the word refresh makes me think of Psalms 133 verses 1. 133 verses 1 through 3. Listen to the psalm of David. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Wow. God wants us like this. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He said it's like the precious oil running upon the head and the beard of Aaron just running down the edges of his garment and that oil pouring over him is is a symbolic of the just the holy spirit just anointing falling on his people God's holy spirit just falling on his people when there's a unity He says it's like the dew of Hermon Mount Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded his blessing forevermore. Like the the dew, you know, you, you go to Israel and you see this mountain and it has snow there, and there's a desert, and that dew, that dew that comes down in the night from that, and it's just refreshing. God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to to be refreshing. Wow, that sounds beautiful. He says, For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. How how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. Now here Paul in verse 8 has a personal request regarding the church and his brother. An unresolved family issue. Paul said here, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. Being such a one as uh, as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ. But notice Paul wasn't demanding something. He said, I might be very bold in Christ to command you, but rather appealing for love's sake. In other words, he, he, he has the epistle, he's an apostle. He had the authority in the church to tell them what to do. But he's appealing to him, do the most loving thing. He could have got involved, but he was wanting them to, to work out their disputes. And a lot of times we do that here in church. We, don't, we let them work it out. The other times we have to step in, yes. But Paul is appealing for them to love and work things out for love's sake. He had the authority to appeal to those involved that they would move forward with this issue and that they would yield to the Lord and reconcile a fractured relationship by grace and love. We have to have grace for one another and love for one another. Grace mean, grace is an awesome thing. The Lord, even in the Word it says, be strong in grace. That seems like an oxymoron. How do I be strong in grace? That means somebody's going to offend me. I want to give them grace. They don't necessarily deserve it. Grace. I'm going to, I'm going to give them grace. Why? Here in the text, there was a fracture of a relationship. And in verse 10, we see it names the offender, Onesimus. His name means one who is profitable or useful. Paul said here in verse 10, I appeal to you for My son, Onesimus, whom, you, whom I have begotten in My chains. In other words, he came to faith when we were in prison who was once unprofitable for you, but is now profitable for you and me. I am sending him back to you, therefore receive him, because the indication is he didn't want him back. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me. I wanted to keep him with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my change for the Gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing." That your good deed, good deed might be by not by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. In other words, I don't want to force you to do something that you don't want to do. He's appealing for this young brother who offended Philemon. But what happened is, it says here, I have begotten in my chains... We don't know the full extent of what Onesimus did, but apparently he was a runaway slave who got saved through the preaching of Paul. And he became very useful to Paul where Paul was in prison. But Paul here was telling him he got right with God. Remember? Mary was telling you about the homeless. He got right with God. And now what is Paul telling him to do? Go make it right with your brother. Go make things right. And he's appealing to Philemon. And here's the thing. Although the Bible does mention slavery, it never endorses it. Biblical Christianity changed culture. And how we treat others, the Bible tells us that they're created in God's image. Therefore, I'm to treat everybody as though they were in the image of God. James says it. People are created in the similitude of God. In the likeness of God. Therefore, that's why when I murder somebody, or I lie to somebody, or I cheat on somebody, or I hurt somebody, they bear the image of God. That's why God takes offense. Because He's created them. In His image. That's why God takes them personally when we sin against each other. Because you're sinning against somebody He's created in His image. Although here in this time, in biblical times, slavery was different in these times. It, it, it wasn't in most cases. Here slavery, when it's speaking here, is a voluntary living employee. Not for slavery like we see here in... The United States and the you know the early part of our our, our country. This was a debt um, servanthood. It would be mostly fairly compared to an apprentice position. You know, Luke was a slave, and he was given to Paul to go on his missionary journey, but in a slave in a sense that he was paying off a debt he endured. Indent, the word is in, in, indentured. Um, required by a contract to work for another for a period of time. It was much like a servitude during the Americans' founding when, when we founded this country. When people would work for approximately seven years to pay off a debt for their passage to the new world, they worked here for seven years. And then they became free. It's like I would live in your house and I would work for you for seven years, and then I would be free. It's like they liken it to okay. Um, I made a deal with you for crops. Um, you know, I was gonna, you know, get your seed, and I was gonna do. Uh, I was gonna plant. You have seed, and I got the seed. I borrowed it from you, and I promise you, when my corn is grown, I'm gonna give you a portion of that. And so what happens, he, he borrows the seed, he goes and plants the seed, and then there comes locusts, right? Things happen, bad weather or drought, and he doesn't, he's not able to produce the crop to pay back that person for the seed. So what they would do is they would say, okay, what I'll do is I'll work for seven years for you to pay off my debt. And so here in, in this thing, we don't fully know the extent of it, but he owed him something, He was supposed to pay his debt, and he left. So here Paul was praying uh, that they would be reconciled. Paul called him a son that I had begotten while I was in prison. And he was in prison. So uh, I know a guy named Tom who's in prison right now. He just got out, but he got deported. And he made some bad decisions early in his life. Tom was born. He was he was born here, but he didn't have no. He was born in Mexico, but he didn't have no papers, right? And he's lived here all his life. Doesn't even know Spanish. Went to jail because of some bad decisions. Then got deported to Mexico. While well, they're working on his case, I talked to his mother. And in prison, he was preaching the gospel. He had fifty people under him preaching the gospel. All Pastor Joe's notes go to Tom. And Tom reads them to 50 guys in prison. And God was using Tom in prison. Now Tom gets out. He gets deported. goes to Mexico. He's in this camp on the border. And somebody finds out, somebody was sitting next to him because Tom's real big. He's like six-some. He's got big arms and tattoos all over. But he loves God and he loves people. And the guy was sitting next to him and he was afraid of him that Tom was going to hurt him. And he found Tom told him, hey, I'm a Christian and he, I'm a preacher. And the, the guy that was next to him told Tom, to found out Tom was, and he knew broken English. He became Tom's interpreter. And Tom's here at the border preaching the gospel to a bunch of people. Pretty amazing what God does. But Paul here was uh, asking them to be reconciled. You know, we don't understand what the purpose is, but it was salvation. And I'm going to sum it up here. In verse 23, Paul mentions Epaphras and Mark and Archippus and Demas, my fellow laborers. The grace of the Lord be with you. And here, Epaphras was a fellow prisoner. Mark was John Mark who blew it and. We have the Gospel of John. You know, he was a used by the Lord. Uh, Archippus was a faithful servant. Demas here, who was mentioned, it says Demas had forsaken me, having loved this present world. One of the guys with Paul. Luke Luke was a physician, and like Paul, Timothy also in Philemon here. You know, one of the things here that I see in this whole chapter is we're like as believers we're like Onesimus we formerly offended God but but through a relationship with Jesus Christ we're reconciled with the Father and now we're called to reconcile with each other and i see Philemon like like the lord One who has a bond of affection. He's blameless in conduct and character. He's reverent. He has his love right. He treats the people like his family. He had intimate fellowship in his home with his friends and his brothers. They encouraged one another. They fought for one another. They prayed for one another. They loved one another. And you know what? We want to be that church like that. Like Jesus until He comes. But that all takes place through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for this Word, Lord. Father, there's so much in it. It could have went a a couple more hours on that, Lord. But Father, I pray, Lord, that we would reconcile with You. That we would reconcile with each other. We pray for the work of Your Holy Spirit. We thank You for, for saving us. But also transform us, Lord. Help us to be like Your servant. Your servant Philemon. Like Your servant Jesus. Help us to love one another. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be fellow workers, beloved brethren and sisters. Help us to be fellow soldiers for the, for the sake of souls. And help us to be fellow builders to build up the body of Christ, to encourage one another. Help us to be faithful until You come. Father, we love You. We thank You in Jesus' name we all say, Amen.